What time is it, you wonder? Well, it's time for Drinks with Tony on KPCRLP Santa Cruz 101.9 FM. Ba-ba-ba-ba-bum, sound. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to episode 134 of Drinks with Tony. My guest is Michael Elias. His new novel is called You Can Go Home Now. He's also the creator of the TV series Head of the Class, and he wrote the Steve Martin film The Jerk, and he wrote and directed Lush Life. He was also a substitute teacher in New York City, and we have so much fun chatting about that on this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Michael Elias, and I'm enjoying Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Michael Elias. His latest book is You Can Go Home Now. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thanks, Tony. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. I don't know why I got nervous when I was saying your name and title. I've been talking to you normal, and then all of a sudden I got ner- nervous. Uh, relax. Calm down. Take a pill. <laughs> <laughs> I... Okay, I found out that you're the creator of Head of the Class. Yes, co-creator. Co-creator. I loved that series. Oh, Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad, yeah. How Uh, how did that happen? Well, uh, Rich, Eustace, and I were uh, were talking to a guy at ABC, and he said he'd like to do a show, uh, you guys to do a show. And uh, uh, he said, you know, it would be good. It's time for another high school show. And uh, we said, or one of us said, yeah, that'd be a good idea, except we don't want to do dumb kids. We don't want to do, we want to do really smart kids this time. And he said, yeah, great. So uh, that, that's really the, 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 the genesis. Then we said, you know, we thought about it. And uh, I had spent uh, my younger years in New York as uh, working as a, a high school, junior high school substitute teacher to uh, while I was studying acting. So I had a lot of experience in urban New York City school system teaching and uh, and that's how, it, that's how it evolved. So I guess part of it is uh, autobiographical, part of it is made up and, uh, but we wanted to have smart kids, kids who were ambitious and smart and uh, not do another version of uh, Welcome back, Cotter, or whatever you know, which I loved. I loved that show, but th- that was what was going to be different about it. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, that it's being uh, it's been rebooted. Ugly word uh, <laughs> on uh, on uh, HBO Max. They're doing a new version. Um, I'm not. I don't have much to do with it. Uh, nor does Rich, except. Uh, our, our encouragement and they're doing a kind of up to you know a modern contemporary version uh huh. and it will start in november i think they're going to start screening it in november they did a pilot and they got an episode a pickup of 10 shows uh and uh it should be good, sure do, be you, good. do you get to see the scripts or the pilot uh before it airs i see yeah, i see scripts and i didn't see i think they just finished the pilot so i'll i'll, I'll see it at some point um uh, but I don't really, Rich and I really don't have much to do with it. Um, it's, um, let's see, Seth Rosen and Amy Pocha are uh, writing and producing. Uh, so. You get a check, though. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. 
Show me the money. I know. It's great to have not much to do with something that, you know, you worked so hard on years ago. And then now it's just like, oh, cool. Yeah. Do your thing. Yeah. But, you know, I have a uh, fraternal interest in it, I suppose. I um, It was five years out of my life uh, and rich producing and writing uh, 115 episodes. And uh, I just hope it continues. And I'm sure it will. That the reboot is uh, as good as and adheres to the same kind of ethos as the as the original. Um, so, but we'll see. We'll see. Did um? So you started out acting. Is that what you? Is that what your plan was, or how? It... Yeah, I became. A, I mean, a, a quick overview. I, as I started as an uh, an actor. Uh, I mean, I came to New York after college. I wanted to be an actor. And I studied uh, acting and I uh, got into uh, off, off Broadway and off Broadway. And uh, my first job was with the Living Theater. Um, that was a kind of oh, radical uh, theater group. Uh, and we did a play called The Brig, which was about the Marine Corps. And I was, so I was there for about three years and then and then I went into and, and acted in other things. I was on, I did television and stage. Uh, and then I joined an improvisational acting company or class. And there was another fellow there named Frank Shaw. And we turned out to be the funniest ones in the class. And we, and Frank said, you know, let's, we could do this and become comedians. And I said, okay, I'll try it. And it seemed to be higher paying than unemployed actor uh, working as a substitute school teacher. Uh, and we did, we, we, we wrote an act based on our improvisations and we started working and we, we became modestly, uh, I don't want to say famous, but we, we ended up opening up uh, shows we went on the road we opened for rock and roll acts we we toured and were the opening act for the turtles uh for janice ian a whole bunch of people and uh did television we did uh johnny carson six times and merv griffin we did all the, all the stuff that you do and uh it was fun and it was we played nightclubs and so forth and we were kind of, our act was kind of uh we were a comedy team, but we were sort of try to do, you know, like Nichols and May kind of sketches and stuff. And one night we were on the Johnny Carson show and a producer from Hollywood producer called uh, and said, I just watched you guys on the Carson show. Who writes your material? And we said, we do it. And he said, oh, well, would you like to come to Hollywood and be writers, comedy writers? And we said, well, what about the act? And he said, not interested. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we had kind of come to the end of it anyway, uh, in terms of performing as a comedy team. And we said, yeah. And we came to Hollywood and we started working as writers. And that's how I got to be a comedy writer. And uh, Hollywood then, when I first came, we were, I mean, we did, uh, variety shows and uh, Glenn Campbell, uh, Smothers, Leslie Uggams, you know, you just bounce from one to the other. And then we started writing sitcoms and uh, we did Bill Cosby for a year uh, as um, staff writers and wrote 
a whole bunch of them. And and then other shows. And then I split up. Is this is this too much history or is no? This, this is great. I'm this, oh, is okay. me, this is me silent and enthralled. Oh, okay. Okay. We enthrall myself. So then we uh, uh we were, I think we were on the Glenn Campbell show when we, oh, and then we wrote screenplays too. And, and, and very, we sold our first one, which was, uh, ended up being uh, the Frisco kid that was with Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. And uh, then Frank and I had different interests and uh, I guess we got tired of each other, whatever it was. Uh, and, and in the meantime, we had done a lot of sitcoms, including working with Carl Reiner on the last Dick Van Dyke show. And uh, then we split up and we did things by ourselves. And I wrote on, uh, did a Mary Tyler Moore and All in the Family. And then I went into partnership, creative and business with a guy named Rich Eustace. And we got a contract to come to Warner Brothers and develop shows, and we did. Uh, and the second one that we did was Head of the Class, and it stuck. So we, we did that show for five years. And in the meantime, Rich and I also wrote other screenplays, uh, uh, one uh, serial, uh, North Dallas 40, which we didn't get credit on, but let's see what else. Um, what else did we do? And then I... And then I got interested in writing for myself, and so did Rich. And after Head of the Class, we split up, and I uh, wrote and directed a, a movie called Lush Life with Forrest Whitaker and Jeff Goldblum about jazz musicians uh, for Showtime, and Rich did stuff by himself. And uh, by now, I'm sort of getting older, and uh, I got kids, and I don't want to go to a studio anymore and I like working at home and I was uh, kind of what happens to a lot of writers in Hollywood I don't want to you know I'm not saying I got too old because uh, I I never got too old but I maybe there is ageism there is ageism in Hollywood and you get to a certain point and it's harder unless you have an empire unless you have you know different sh you know shows that you're running uh it's, you know, it's tough. So I said, what's next? What's my next step? And my next step is to write novels and plays. And uh, that's what I did. Uh, my first play was produced, uh, a little autobiographical play about uh, uh, my, about growing up in the Catskill Mountains, which is where I'm from, and a little hotel in the 60s. Uh, and that was catered to uh, blacklisted writers and actors. And that was a kind of interesting thing. And then uh, I wrote a novel about uh, Peru and the Incas for some reason and got that published. And then uh, my most recent one, which is called uh, You Can Go Home Now. And uh, I would hold it up, but we're not on visual. Uh, <laughs> so I will tell you that it's called You Can Go Home Now. And it's a thriller uh, set in New York, Queens, actually. And it's about a young homicide detective female who is investigating the cold case murders of men who turn out to have been abusive to their wives and who wives, or I guess widows, all have the same alibi 
of or where they were when their husbands were killed and it was in a woman's shelter and she goes undercover into this woman's shelter to find out if if the shelter has anything to do with the murder of abusive homicidal uh abusers and uh it changes their life so i won't i won't tell you more than that oh and this one sounds like your most personal story of all uh probably probably (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's anyway it's a it's it's a you know it's a page turner thriller they say and got good reviews you can go home now Uh, and it deals with uh it also deals with uh as a backstory her father was a uh uh, a doctor for Planned Parenthood who was assassinated by a an anti-abortion terrorist, uh, and she's looking for him. So it's also a novel about revenge, and uh, that's it. Yeah, I, it's it, it, it drives me crazy how violent the um, anti-abortion <laughs> people can be. Yeah, well, there's a long list of cops uh, who have been assassinated. I'm not cops. I'm sorry, doctors who have been assassinated and. Uh, the tactics are, yeah, they're violent. Uh, blowing up uh, Planned Parenthood uh, or abortion providers, but that's so. It's on two levels, but mostly, but mostly, it's about well, it's about her quest to find the, the killer, and it's also about solving the mystery of what happened to these men. And uh, what was it and, like? Um, uh, what was it like shifting from being from being on set and and just being, uh, you know, I mean it's total chaos. And I, and uh, I, I, when you were talking earlier about, Oh, that was five years of my life on head of the class. It, I don't think people realize how much of your life really is taken when you're on, when you're like, when you're created a show and you're on a show, I don't, I don't, I think people just, I think people outside of, of Hollywood just think, Oh, you show up at nine, you clock out oh. at five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's always, it's three jobs. And when you when you're running a show, uh, there's uh, this week's show that you're producing and writing, or or you know that that's going on. This last week's show, which you're editing, and then this next week's show, which you're getting ready for. So you got three jobs, uh, and we were only two guys. And but fortunately, uh, my partner Rich loved post production. He loved editing. He loved sound effects. I mean, he loved all that stuff that bored the hell out of me, uh, or I just wasn't interested in. So I constantly, he, he concentrated on that. And then we had two jobs and, uh, this week's show, next week's show. And that was, we, we managed to do that, but I have to say he worked harder than I did. He stayed late and went to editing after we had our day with the writers and so forth. Uh, I, I, we had, we had, we had a lot of help. Of course, we had, we had, you know, writing staff, not a large one the way they do now. Uh, the other thing is I never believed, and I've worked for, for guys and, and women who showrunners when I first started, uh, who believed that, uh, working late makes things better. And it, and <laughs> in truth, it doesn't. So we, th- we decided to run a kind of sane, uh, workplace environment. We never, you know, go home. It's time to go home. Go home. Be with your family. 
but I was with I worked from guys who you didn't work till two o'clock in the morning. You worked till three o'clock and never got any. It, it really didn't get any better. There's one guy I worked for. Can I tell stories? Is that yeah, okay? yeah, that's yeah. why we're here. There's one guy I worked for uh, on a show, uh, Norman Lear's show. I can't. Uh, All's fair. It was called. Anyway, it was a Norman Lear's show. He was married to a stewardess, so when she was in town, when she wasn't flying. He had to go home because he had to take her, you know, go out and have dinner. Oh, crap. Technical difficulties, and they're on my end. I'm gonna put a knife into the router wireless because the router's not working, and we were losing the greatest part. Oh, we're back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Sorry about that. So where that was, was it? Oh, so um, so his, his wife was uh, stewardess. His wife was a flight attendant. A yeah, steward, yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. We used to look at we used to look at her schedule, which he had on his wall. Yeah. So when she was flying, we knew we were going to work late. When she was in town, we know we could go home early. So my wife would say, "Do you want to have dinner Thursday night?" And I said, "Let me look at her schedule." <laughs> wow. That's how it was. Anyway, I think you know. It, I mean, the. The brain needs a break, you know, and the body needs a break. I, I think when people run, when people are working in that type of environment, <clears throat> you want your actors fresh, you want your writers fresh, you want the creation of ideas happening. If you're yeah. running them ragged, I think that kind of is more depleting in the end. Oh, absolutely. You can't, uh, it's hard to be funny when you're tired also, uh, especially, you know, in comedy. But uh, anyway, that's, that that's, that's the way, you know, it, it does take long to, you know, production take can take a long time. The director says, you know, or you have to work at night because it's a night shoot. And, uh, and you know, people in Hollywood really work long hours. Um, and, and sometimes it's a real safety issue. You know, you have to drive back. If you're shooting, you know, in uh, somewhere outside of uh, L.A., and you get through at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, and you've been working for 16 hours, it's very dangerous to drive home and people get, so that's another thing. That's, anyway, what, co that's what cocaine is for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine in bed, you have a truck drivers. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let your kid go into show business. But anyway, it's, it's, I guess it's better. I don't know. Anyway, I, that's the way, that's the way we did it. That's, we, we, we had a sane working environment. Um, so, uh, when you're working with, when you're working with your partner, Frank, and then you're like, all right, this is too much. What well, did it feel like? It was almost like a, uh, like a um, romantic relationship. Cause you're just intimate in each other's yeah, face. Well, you know, writing partnership. Except for the, except uh, for the good part of intimacy. Well, that's what Carl Reiner said. He said a writing partnership is like a marriage without sex. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Yeah. Although. Uh, Rich and I, who were, uh, we didn't have sex. Now, Rich and I, uh, we never socialized. I have to say that. We very, we, we never went out to dinner with our wives. We never, because we saw each other all day. I come in the morning and he would be there. Uh, and then we would have lunch together if we liked that. And then we would spend the rest of the day together and writing and having meetings and then I didn't want to see him at night and it was, uh, you know, anyway, so that was, that was it when, yeah. I think right. that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fine. It was fine. I, I mean, I used to be married and there was uh there, you know, the, the, some of the best times 
was being apart from each other and then coming back together. You know, when we were in each other's space too much, that's when uh, we started yeah. losing our minds. Well, that's the thing. You know, marriages, uh, there are a lot of postponed divorces because of COVID. I mean, people can't, people couldn't leave the house. And by the way, or not by the way, uh, the statistics on uh, spousal abuse and battered women have quadrupled term because they have nowhere to go. You can't get out of the house. You can't take the kids out of the house. So it's it's terrible. And they're trapped in those uh, uh, dangerous relationships. Yeah. It's, um, and it's just, yeah, some people are finding out they need to get divorced. Other people are, other people are like, oh my God, I feel like my marriage is invigorated. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I, uh, my present and my last wife, um, we, we, and we live in a small house, you know, we have a, basically a one bedroom house. We, we have to, you know, go our separate ways in the house and see you later, close the door, see you later. And it's, it's worked. It's, it's okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, uh, when, uh, with your kids, did they get into show business or were you going? Uh, well, uh, yeah, one, no, uh, one works for Google. And one has done a lot of show business, PA, uh, you know, writer's room, stuff like that. And he finally, well, he said he really wants to be a writer. And uh, he doesn't want to be, the, he doesn't see the path to being a writer as being somebody who gets lunch for the producers. And, uh, and I'm glad because uh, you're in show business, but you're not actually in writing. So he's, he's just a writer now and he's writing his own stuff. Uh, he's writing a novel and, uh, and, and short stories. And, and I'm, I'm happy about that because it means that he really wants to be a writer. Uh, yeah. And that's good. And there's always time if he, if he, if he wants to do what I did. I, but he has, he's following his own path and um, I'm happy for, and he's very good. So he's, he's a better writer at 28 than I was, that's for sure. So I, I'm happy for him. Uh, and. Uh, Cause at 28, you were, you were, um, were you still doing, were you, you were, you were on Carson by the time you were 28? Oh yeah. Yeah. We were on uh, Carson, uh, 60, Seven sixty-eight, and then I think in Hollywood. Then we came to Hollywood sixty-nine. We didn't quite give up the act. We did a few gigs out here. Um, a couple of we did the uh, uh, what was what's it called the uh, on on Mel uh, uh, some like damn. Anyway, we did a few gigs out here. Did a couple television shows. We did Steve Allen. We did something called Operation Entertainment. We did a couple of uh, specials, but in the end, it, it, we just, it just ended. And then we started <laughs> selling off our material um, to, uh, there was a show called um, Love American Style. I remember uh, that. Yeah, so we yeah. sold, like we took our sketches and we converted them into uh, little, you know, <laughs> episodes. Uh, so we gradually, and then, uh, th then I met Steve Martin while we were working on a show. I don't know if you remember a guy named Pat Paulson. Uh, he was on the Smothers Brothers, uh, yeah. and he was a dour kind of. Uh, uh, 
young writer on the show. So was I. Uh, it was like our second or third show. And uh, we became friends. And after he said to me one day, I'm not going to be a writer any. I don't want to be a writer anymore. Uh, I want to concentrate on being a comedian. And uh, would you want Would you write material for me or with me? And I said both. And I did. And just for fun. Uh, And he would say, and then he was starting to, you know, get get famous. And he was doing all the comedy clubs and the colleges and so forth. And I would go to, he lived in Aspen, or he had a house in Aspen, and I would go there and spend the weekend. And uh, we would, we would write material for him uh, together. And have a good time ski or whatever it was. And then one day he called me and said, uh, I got this screenplay and it was uh, at Paramount and they turned it down. And I and my agent and manager uh, and producer, there was a producer involved, David Picker, it needs a really big rewrite. Um, Would you come and come up to Aspen and do it? And I said, I'll be right there. And uh, that's how I ended up getting a writing credit on The Jerk. And we wrote a whole, I'm not saying a new screenplay, but we, we wrote a, enough, I mean, enough to get credit. And Universal then bought it and made it. And that's how I ended up as a, one of the writers on The Jerk. Was um was Steve Martin attached when you started when you were doing the rewrite? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Okay. He was attached, and he he was he was pretty famous in terms. Of, I mean, he was not unknown. He was, you know, he had been on Carson and all that stuff. But this was his first movie, and uh, and Paramount uh, turned it down the script, and then they took it to Universal, but they said we're going to give it to you with a rewrite, and I rewrote it with Steve, and huh. they made it. I love that movie. That movie was, uh, you know, and I had the, I mean, Bernadette Peters is one of my earliest crushes. Yeah. (laughs) She, you know, some, she is great in that movie. She, she is just amazing. She does stuff is so, so great. And, and, uh, and Carl Reiner directed and he was great for it. It was a, it was a perfect collaboration in so many ways. Uh, And, uh, and you know, I we all thought, well, we're making a movie. We wrote a, wrote a movie, and we didn't. We did not know that it would end up uh, being a favorite of so many people. And I'm I'm happy about that because one of the things I hear a lot, you know, used to be it's my favorite movie. Now it's I hear then I would hear it's my father's favorite movie, and um, <laughs> I dread the time when somebody's going to say it's my grandfather's favorite movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so anyway, uh, and. And uh, people say, you know, this is a movie I watched with my mother. It's when I learned she had a sense of humor, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that that makes that I think that's kind of sweet. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's it's funny because I've noticed that thing when I'm watching baseball. Like when I was young, the baseball players were just old and 
godlike to me, right? Yeah. And then I was just, and so I'd watch the baseball players. And then all of a sudden I'm getting older and older and older than the baseball players. So I'm excited about the managers now. You know, <laughs> what, what do you do? What's yeah. your job? And then some of these managers are younger than me now. And I'm like, where uh, do I go next? Yeah. Who, who do I look look up to next in baseball? Uh, it's funny. It's funny. I am the owners, I guess. I don't know. It's yeah, funny. I don't know. The owners are getting younger too. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I might have to just go join the senior league somewhere, and uh, yeah. then I could be the young guy in the senior league, and I'll I'll feel better. You know, about we had a great Sunday. We were just driving around. I don't know. Or maybe we went, you know, went to Trader Joe's. But on the way back, we passed a uh, a diamond. On the National and Westwood Boulevard, there's a park. There was a diamond, and it was like you know two teams playing baseball, and we went and sat and watched the game, and they were great. I mean, it was just great to see you know like fifty people there and uh, and watch. There were two teams, you know, kind of not semi-pro or anything, but everybody was good, uh, better than I ever was, and it was a lot of fun just to watch regular guys playing baseball. And it's, it's, yeah, it, how COVID has changed everything just kind of blows my mind where something like that, you know, I would have driven, if I, if I was in the same position, I would have stopped the car and hung out and watched the whole time. Um, Now, a year ago, I would have just driven by and went, oh, baseball. It's, it just, all our, our perspectives just shifted. That's right. That's right. There's such value in seeing live people again, doing regular things, like having a good time. It was beautiful. Yeah. That right. Yeah. And that, I mean, I stopped watching baseball last year because it's one of the only sports I follow. And the only reason I followed it is because it used to drive my dad nuts. He hated watching baseball. So all I did was watch baseball. So the TV had to stay mine when I was really young. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, that's how I got into it from, uh, you know, friction with fathers. Right. Yeah. But, um, but last year they were piping in fake noise when there was no crowd and the cardboard uh. cutouts. And I'm like, why are you guys being so like, just, just let it be. I want to hear the sounds. Yeah. in a different way don't don't pretend like it's okay everything's not okay <laughs> can we not pretend yeah it's like left track sports track yeah yeah i can't remember did head of the class did that have a laugh track or was that a live no. In the studio no it was i think it was live okay cool yeah, yeah it was taped in front of an audience yeah and uh no I don't, we didn't have a laugh track we they used to a lot of shows that there's they did a great Writers Guild uh, dinner sketch. They used to do comedy, um, you know, a kind of show, variety show after uh, at the Writers Guild dinners, awards. And the best one was two guys um, listening to the Gettysburg Address, trying to figure out where to put the laughs. <laughs> and, you know, we got four score guys. Is that funny? He says, well, I don't know. Give it a giggle. You know? <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's very funny. The, the laugh track shows I can't even watch. But I, and I remember, you know, when I, when I was younger and I remember WKRP, which was one of my, you know, I was I was a radio nut. I would tear apart my parents radios and try to figure out what resistors were and how voices were wow. coming out. And um 
So when WKRP came on that, I was like, oh, I can watch what it's like on the other side, you know? Yeah. And I didn't know Johnny Fever wasn't actually, was actually an actor. I thought this guy is crazy, <laughs> you know? And then he's on head of the class. I'm like, you know, it's, I, I was like, I realized by that point, I'm like, yeah, I know. But at the same time, it was just like, it kept throwing me off. Oh wait, yeah, he's not Johnny Fever. It was, I just had that weird association, yeah. you know? Cool. I hope he was fun to work with. Was he fun to work with? Howard? Yeah. 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 He he was he was terrific. I mean, he was he was absolutely the right choice uh to play the part. Um he got a little pissed off because and I could see his point, but he thought the show should have been about him. Uh more about his life and it turned out that the show was popular or what people liked was the the stories about the kids but he was always involved in those stories but it wasn't and that's why we didn't call it the howard hessman show or the charlie moore show it was called head of the class and uh but he was he was always Terrific in his work ethic and great on the set. No, I I, I really liked him. I, I don't. Uh, you know, the last year, uh, I think he had had enough, and ABC said, <clears throat> "I don't know if we're going to pick it up for the fifth year," which was really crucial in terms of reruns, syndication. So it was almost kind of mutual, and we said, how about they, you know, is there a way to really freshen up the show radically? And we said, uh, well, what if we get a new teacher? And they said, I think that'll do it. And we had a talent search and we ended up with Billy Connolly mm. uh, for a year. And it That's was really, right. Remember? Yeah, yeah. He's the, he's the British comedian yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was great. And and so that did a year. And then we even got another show after that called Billy. Uh, that ran for, I don't know, a year, one season. Uh, and everybody went away happy and the show got its... I mean, it was a really good thing, I mean, for Howard that we got that fifth year because it meant he was going to get all those uh, residuals and profit sharing on the uh, syndication. So uh, that was that's how that worked out, yeah. And that's fantastic because I think that's a that's a great show that needs to still be seen. You know, it's some of these shows that just go and you never see them again. They're not on DVD. You're just going, where, how do I see these things? Well, Head of the Class is now on DVD. Cool. They they finally got around to it. I never understood why they didn't, uh, but they finally did. So I think now three seasons are on DVD and it's streaming on HBO Max or, and, and will be rebooted in the fall. And then I guess once they reboot it, they'll probably take off the original. I don't know. We'll see. Huh. Yeah. Now, now, when you look back on that, because a lot of that was your substitute teacher experience. Did you put a lot of that into Yeah. yeah <clears throat> so not, not the stories so much as just the feel of what it's like to teach or be in an urban high school. It was, and of course, the class would, well, it was. In New York, they had a thing called SP. I don't know if they have it anymore. It's just like AP, you know. So mm-hmm. you were seven SPs, whatever the SP stood for. Was, um, 
and that was that was the academically advanced class and you went and you went from 7SP to 8SP to 9 and then you went to New York City had and probably still has a system of uh, uh, really excellent high schools you had Bronx High School of Science and uh, 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 what was it? And Julie, not Juilliard, uh, High School of Music and Art. Uh, there was even an aviation high. Uh, so wow. you could, uh, there was a Cook's, you know, uh, Hotel and Cook's High School. So you could go through the New York City school system and, and Stuyvesant, that was another one. And they were, you could get into Ivy League schools, you could, you or you could have a profession. You know, you graduate from aviation high. You could go to work uh, for an airline uh, and one, do one more year and learn how to be a pilot and so forth. So anyway, it was so that I, I had the experience because I was a sub substitute. I, I taught all over the city. I taught in, uh, you know, ghetto high schools and I taught in Upper East Side Woody Allen High Schools where he met uh, <laughs> The um, what now when you're in front of a crowd doing comedy and you're in front of a room of students as a substitute teacher, which one which one's a harder room? Oh, you know it's it's, it's a great question because I was actually I was going to say the classroom is harder um, because yeah, teaching is really hard. I don't think it's the hardest job I ever had in my life, um, including busboy, because especially adolescents. Well, you remember what a, what a jerk you were when you were an adolescent. Oh, I was, yeah. And, yeah. you know, something to teacher, man, fair game. So uh, I came armed uh, with yeah. lesson plans. Um, so I would go into any math class I had. I would say, okay, today we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, learn algebra. And they would say algebra. That's for like the smart kids. I said, no, 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 no. It's for all of us. We can do it. And I had this great algebra lesson and I would do that. That would get me through. Um, English, to art, everything. I taught everything. But it was hard because you're facing kids who, uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough to be adolescent. So anyway, that's co comedy and facing an audience. Uh, once you... I, we always had we had good material. Uh, we had to opening opening for a rock and roll act was not easy because you come out to people screaming, "We want the turtles," you know. <laughs> so what was worse, the, the opening for the turtles or your uh, a mediocre day as a substitute teacher? Uh, I'd rather I'd rather open for the turtles because I wow. had, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean that was. That was easier because we could get him. I'll tell you, there was a guy, Steve Martin had a guy opening for him. Uh, man, he wrote uh, New Orleans, uh, not Arlo Guthrie, but Stevie, no, Stevie. I'm sorry, I can't remember this, but he came out to screams of, we want Steve Martin. Wow. And... He was a singer. He was a folk singer. But he came, you know, he came out armed with a guitar. That was it. Yeah. And by the end of the his set, he had them begging for more. And I said, this is one of the great 
entertainers in history because he started out with not, with a hostile audience and he had to win them over, keep them and just, and he did it. And he would do it, Steve Goodman, that was his name, Stevie Goodman. And he would do it night after night after night because we were on a bus together. We toured all over America with that. Uh, so he was incredible. And then there's the guys who, uh, I knew a guy who opened, uh, he was a comedian and he opened for the Beatles in Shea Stadium. Oh. And <laughs> he said, they said, now Digby Wolf. And he came out and just did 20 minutes of mouthing to screaming 65,000, 35,000 screaming people who never heard a word that he said. And yeah. he, that was, that was it. So anyway, they're all kinds of things. <laughs> and, and I think most of those were like teenage girls, right? So he's, yeah. so he's yeah. going out there trying to get some relatable material. Oh, he's right. like, all right. He's like, well, you know what? You know how when you're trying to curl your hair, he's like trying to. Reading from the declaration didn't matter. It didn't matter. <laughs> I'm sure he was just going until it was over. Uh, but th that was, yeah, the uh, opening acts. Anyway, that's teaching was hard. And I never and uh, that's why I mean, I'm such a supporter of uh, teachers and I have such disdain for people who think it's an easy job or think that because they're successful in one profession or whatever, they can, they know what, they know how to solve whatever the problems are. And, and they usually don't. And that's why, um, so anyway, that's, that's, it's a tough job, tough job. And it's, yeah. it should be paid. You know, Lenny Bruce, he used to do a, a routine about uh, how much entertainers get paid. And it was sort of, I think it was like, it was like in, in, in heaven or at, at the pearly gates. And he would say, what's your name? And he would, and the guy would say, uh, I don't know, uh, Dean Martin, how much do you earn? I earn whatever it is. He said, uh, okay. And the next guy would be, what do you do? And he says, I'm, I'm a teacher. How much do you earn? And it would be like one hundredth of what Dean Martin, he says, Martin to hell, teacher to heaven. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, well, it's a good it makes sense. I mean, because the especially substitute teacher—that's the hardest room ever. I would think. Yeah. Oh yeah. What, was there ever a time when you feel like you just lost the whole class and you're just like, "How do I get this back?" Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I uh, once I was explaining it. Uh, I was doing a. Uh, I had an algebra equation on the board, and I said, "Okay, you can solve it from left to right. You know, three x equals." Uh, 21, what is x equal, or you could say 21 equals 3x. I was just doing it, you could do it from left to right, whatever, reverse it. And one kid raises it, I said, what is it? He says, it's wrong. Said, what do you mean it's wrong? He says, it's wrong. I said, it's not wrong. Let me show you again. And I show him again. And I said, okay. He says, no, it's wrong. And I said, fuck. And I do it again. And he says, it's wrong. And I said, okay. You want to bet? He said, huh? I said, put your money by your mouth. <laughs> and then I said, wait a minute. I've just reverted to him, right? Yeah, I've just yeah, now, yeah. I've become 14 years old. Yeah. He said, uh, this is, all right, let's try it one more time. <laughs> but I just, I became him. And anyway. what was crazy is you made another 300 bucks that day off the gate. <laughs> or, yeah. I had a, anyway, yeah, it was fun stuff. And then I had a... Uh, I used to also supplement my income 
when I on the non-teaching days or the nights, I would deal uh, at poker games, and um, and I say these these were like guys who would play poker, but they would hire a dealer, me, and I get like twenty bucks, whatever, a little tip, and you work online. And I remember doing that all night in a an apartment, playing, you know, dealing a poker game, and I came in to the class. And I looked at them and I said, okay, everybody ante up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. I really had a lot of fun. Michael Elias on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, you can go home alone. You can't go home now. You can go home alone now too. But you can go home now is the title of his book. Available everywhere you get your books, except for that bookstore that has the dirty adult books on Sherman Way. It's probably not there, but they're fully stocked with other other pleasurable materials. And interesting note about that bookstore: that adult bookstore is one block away from a small production lot where they shot Sons of Anarchy. And Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, everything in L.A. is right behind a blue, a red curtain. A dirty red curtain and you're on a lot. All right. Whew. I got my second vaccine yesterday. I'm going mental over here. Next week on the show, we have Marissa Silvers. She's, the, she's an author. <laughs> Believe it or not. Her latest novel is called The Mysteries. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. You are on your radio dial at 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.